Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. Hello, Nina. How are you? Good, thanks, Andrew. How are you? Are you as tired as I am? Yeah, and cold. Melbourne is freezing. Mm. Nina and I have been burning the midnight oil, I'm afraid. We're lucky to be kind to each other. We're so tired. That's why we finally look our ages. <laughs> I think that's a criticism of me because <laughs> your age is clearly 30, mine's clearly over 60. All right, well, look, we've got some interesting stuff today. One of the things that we really want to get through today are issues where people just forget the obvious, okay? So it's a bit of a forget the obvious day, probably starting with people when they're travelling and what happens when they're travelling and the idea of workers' compensation and what's called the interval cases, which is when people during the course of their employment injure themselves, but they're otherwise not at work. Yeah, like they're not actually performing work at the time, but they're on a work trip, for yeah. example. So they go away and, you know, the old Comcare and PBYM, whatever. The hotel case. Yeah, the hotel sex case that's always known as an example. So we've got a case today, which is Hambark and Return to Work South Australia, where a guy who was the CEO, CEO, CEO yeah. of his business was over in China. Yeah, on really stressful itinerary, I think it's completely packed. Yeah, and he had, part of the business was encouraging health. And so he was at a gym, not working, Yeah. when he died. Yeah, that's right. He yeah, suffered he a heart attack. Heart attack at the gym. So he definitely wasn't working, yeah. but he was definitely under a quasi-direction about a health-related activity and was encouraged to do it. And on a work trip. And on a work trip. So the issue is for his wife, did she get death benefits as a result, which is workers' compensation? And the answer, of course, is yes. yes. After a long process, though. Yeah, it was since, appealed in three times, Yeah, I think. 2012 the yeah. process started. But I guess what we want to talk about is when we talk about Christmas parties and after Christmas party drinks and people staying in town, what happens when a manager puts the card across the table after Christmas drinks are over, it's two in the morning, and People start drinking oh, and they yeah. start talking about work and then they all go back to his room in the hotel. Well, can I tell you that's compensable? Yeah, it's all connected. Yeah, so the answer is, and the risk of creating policies that create an interval of work is a problem. So when you're doing functions, when you're doing trips, make it very clear what is not work and what are the expectations of out-of-work behaviour. So it is not work when you leave this function at night. Mm-hmm. But the expectations are, as you represent the business, that should you do the following things, types of misconduct, that bring bring to risk the reputation of the business, your inability to work in that role again, all those cases, that you do have a disciplinary capacity to deal with out-of-work behaviour, but you don't have a workers' compensation liability. Okay? So clarity, policy and direction are critical. So great case, really, really great case. Nina, safe. what about the recklessness oh, case? So we've got a brand a new highest case. ever recklessness award. In New South Wales. Wales yeah, it's yeah. three men, of course, up in Queensland. But, yeah. And this is, um, talk about it. Yeah, this is an ugly set of facts. This is an awful case. So this business was an arb, arb, related to Arbery kind of thing and there are two employees who were hand-feeding this wood chipper and Which wasn't designed for hand feeding. Yeah, it was specifically designed. <clears throat> you were supposed to use some other mechanism to feed it, and they were aware of this. The supplier had told them on multiple occasions, you can't do it that way. And not only that, a part of the wood chipper was broken, so it made the risk even more dangerous. 
And the supervisor there told one of the workers to go move, tell someone to move their car further down the street. And when that worker came back, they couldn't find the other employee and just thought he went to the bathroom and started up the wood chipper again. And later, I think 30 minutes later, I found blood and the police investigated and realised the other one had gone straight through, which is just awful. It's awful, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And in this case, they brought charges against both the company and the supervisor because he failed to actively supervise them. He didn't train them. There was just pretty much everything that you should have done. He did none of it and was well aware of the risk. So the judge said they should have got the maximum penalty and with only a 10% discount because they had no money, it ended up being over $2 million and over 100000 for the supervisor. Interesting. The supervisor was married to the owner. Yeah, well, but she I, had no involvement. She in had no case. involvement. But once again, I think Nina and I have been saying they're sniffing at the edges. Yeah. So anyone who has an operational senior responsibility is being charged at the moment. Yeah. We're only this far away from the wife being charged for failing to have systems. The law says she can be, and the law will eventually in the next two or three years start charging non-exec directors for those type of responsibilities. And so, you can just see how much more they're jumping to reckless endangerment charges and laying harsher and harsher penalties. And the courts are so much more open to give bigger penalties. Mm. Let's swing on to the next thing, which is the zombie agreements. Oh, look, I just like doing it because I just want to do this. You know? like I, <laughs> <laughs> I want to get out there and just roll forwards. The law on this is uncomplicated. There's two tests that basically applies to whether a zombie agreement can continue to operate. One, is it reasonable in the circumstance? And second, are you better off overall? So there's a mango case where there was 10 employees, mango season, AW said, should be able to negotiate a new agreement. Judge said, or commissioner said, bit late really. They're going to be better off overall. We can't have them split across a number of different things because it breaches the rules around their engagement. We'll let you have one more summer. And there's a similar case which did a very similar set of facts. So all I'm saying, I guess, with all this is you do have zombie agreements out there. Please test them against the underlying national awards, not state awards, mm-hmm. because they were mainly built around state awards, yeah. which are significantly beneath NES and other things. If they're above it and you've got an argument that's reasonable, you can run with it. But understand they're going to be challenged by the unions and unions are always going to be notified on zombie agreement extensions. So that's it. Then there's nothing much to it. We need to move on. Right? Yeah. Zombies dead as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Brian Best is one of my favourite cases because Brian's not best in this case. No, Brian, Brian was definitely the worst. <laughs> Brian, Brian, perhaps. And, without, he, without and pre- his mother. Yeah, this is some mothers do have them type stuff. Okay, this is a guy who, <laughs> in an attempt to flog a hard drive from Woolworths, <laughs> where he had to go into a locked store to get a hard drive with that phone and then when hid it in the pet food lane, she came in with a group of boxes and bags and fumbled <laughs> under her arm and pissed off at with that. <laughs> they, they eventually woke up that he'd flogged it. They got him on CCTV, so she stuck it back in a bag and boxes, brought it back in and stuck it in the pet food lane and then conspired with him to say that she was going to buy it. Well, the commissioner enjoyed it so. The dishonesty was enough to just give him a smack across the chops. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. But what did it was the deliberate lie that got the clear termination, okay? Yeah. And I just want to keep coming back that The duty of fidelity, yes, stealing is always going to get you into trouble, but trust relationships are built around the trust and confidence of what someone says, and you should never walk away from dishonesty 
never ever walk away from dishonesty. Anyway, look, it was a fun, it was such a fun case. I couldn't resist. It's one of those cases when you tell the facts, nobody believes you. And you go, no, 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 read it. I honestly read it. Would have been fun you to watch the CCTV. <laughs> yeah. Another zombie. <laughs> Let's go to the next case. Children, children at work. This is. Well, I'm I'm responsible for this too because occasionally Moon wanders in with me. Since we've come out of COVID, we've been so used to having our children around us, and I think it's a really lovely thing. But the difficulty is you're bringing children into places of risk, and we've had serious incidents near fatalities where children have observed yeah, members of family traumatised. We've got to start stepping back a little bit and saying a couple of things about children. They don't understand risk. Yeah. They're inquisitive. They can't really... It'd be expected to control everything they yeah. do. So when you or be aware of what is dangerous. So sometimes when you're managing children, like at a school, and we'll talk about the case in a minute, then you understand this higher duty that comes across because you're dealing with someone who doesn't have a risk profiling capacity, mm-hmm. doesn't have life experience, lived experience of what risk is, yeah. and therefore you've got to create that knowledge. But it also comes in when I bring a child into here, yes, there's tripping hazards, there's hot water hazards, there's a whole lot of hazards which... As an adult at your home, the child knows not to touch something which looks like a kettle, but the kettle here is not a kettle. It looks entirely different. Yeah. So, But also just child safety, like if they get kidnapped or something happens to them, like all of that as well. Get, I think they get kidnapped. Well, I mean, that's, not that's so much in our That's a bit of an overkill. But like, Who's planning to steal moon? Like there, no, <laughs> but there was that case where they were at the ballet school and she went to the toilet and yeah. then someone tried to assault the little girl. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah, so well, it does happen. Okay, I, just, I was just thinking, who's going to kidnap her? No one is face? kidnapping her child, to be clear. We're both very tired. <laughs> I just want to say that. Uh, so look, let's... Talk about Farrell because it's an interesting case, isn't it? The kids, yeah. the kids on the fishing trip. Yeah, so I think it was about eight students and two teachers had gone on an overnight camping trip and they went to, I can't remember which state they were, they went somewhere kind of remote and when they got there they decided to go rock fishing. So they were all fishing at this rocky outcrop and there was all this algae. Is it algae or algae? Al- al- <laughs> no, no, we'll go algae. Okay. There, so it made it very slippery and one of the students fell in and two of the other students, it's unclear whether they also fell in or they purposely jumped in to save that student. But in doing so, two of the students were able to self-rescue and one of the others drowned. And it was found that basically, although they had a risk assessment in place, it didn't consider this specific activity and there was no life jackets. They had no rope to rescue no, the students. Fishes. Yeah, but they tried to rescue them by tying the fishing rods together. So you can just kind of see that there was no real consideration for safety. Yeah. So can we just pull back from this a little bit to talk about why this is such an important topic, I guess. So we know children are going to come to work more often. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what the nature of the work is, they're going to be turning up. They'll even turn up to factories. Okay, and it it is happening, and it's happening with our client group at the moment. That operations managers are turning up when they're they've got a a curriculum day, and they they bring their child along to school. Mm. Satiri and I were at an office only yesterday of a large factory where there was a young child sitting doing their schoolwork in the office because they'd come home to the ops manager, come to the ops manager because his his um, mum was working. So it's going to happen. So what are the things that we need to do? So. Is a child, for purpose of safety law, someone we owe a duty to? Yes. Yes, we do. What is that duty? It is not a reasonable practice to do 
to exercise reasonable care. So it's a duty, a pure duty thing, yeah. which is to ensure their health and safety. To make sure, reasonable care means you must prevent foreseeable injury. So any potential foreseeable injury in a workplace to a child is foreseeable, and if you don't prevent it, you will be liable. That's just a primary duty breach, okay? Yeah. What that means basically is it is a different risk assessment process that you go through because you're dealing with a different level of risk knowledge with a child and a less capacity to direct and control. Yeah. So you've got to have a policy about it and you have to have areas of prohibition where children cannot go. Yeah, like anywhere any forklifts. Yeah, yeah, anything where they're chaotic and childlike behaviour and non-rule compliant behaviour because yellow lines don't mean a lot to kids. Yeah, because that's the other thing I think as well. It's not just you have to have another kind of risk assessment. The kinds of controls that you put in place, you can't assume what fits for one scenario will fit for the other because children do not comply. They're not going to read the policy and be like, okay, I know I can't go here. And that's right. So when we come to the so if we look at just reasonable practicability around an office, we understand the risks are very high with children. If you look at the hierarchy of control, administrative controls can't work, okay? Yeah. So at least it has to be supervision, constant supervision, but it's much more like elimination. There are parts of the business this child is not allowed to go to. Yeah. So we raise it. I mean, I think Nina and I have sat through some incredibly traumatic interviews where children have witnessed and seen things that have occurred. I think both of us have been really distressed by that. But what distressed us most is the child was there at all in a high-risk circumstance where they should never be. Yeah. If you can't control the risks, then it means that you have to consider whether it is a place that the child should be allowed to be and yeah. whether you should bring them at all. And that's, right. that's for their safety at the end of the day. All right. So there's our lessons. First of all, different type of <laughs> risk assessment, small. direct policy and procedure, mm -hmm. controls which have elimination, mechanical prevention, and supervision, administrative controls are simply not going to work with kids, all right? So that's it for today on the major topic. Let's go off to our case study. So Amal sold high-end clothing. Do you know who this is? Is this the Clooney's? Yes, the Clooney's. <laughs> I just thought I'd put the Clooney's in. For an international <laughs> fashion house. She, I'm surprised you know anything about them. She was educated, polite, and well-respected. Part of her role was to demonstrate the fashion at galas, engage high-end buyers to purchase garments, and support the designer stores. She did it with a plum. Her boss, George, was a shrewd <laughs> operator. As GM of Fashion for the Stars, PTY LTD, FFS, he was a Miles boss and employer. Inappropriate relationship. Yeah, no. Power <laughs> breach, I would have thought straight away. <laughs> he recognised that to maintain her sales pitch, she needed to be fit, healthy, and constantly educated on each garment. Each July, following the commencement of winter sales, George and Amal would come to Melbourne to work out the pitch for spring-autumn, depending on which hemisphere, see major Australian clients and develop their travelling roadshow through Europe, Asia and the US. George ensured that FFS had a policy around encouraging health and discouraging cigarettes, drugs and alcohol. Gym memberships were paid and when travelling, they always stayed at hotels that had gym and related services. On the 10th of July... Amal went out after work to meet friends. She drank a bottle of Bollinger and on her way home dropped in to see George at the Softel and shared several cocktails. Lychee Martinis. Yeah, they're the best at the Softel. <laughs> <laughs> As she was leaving the Level 35 Atrium Cocktail Bar, she slipped on the stairs and broke her ankle. 
It was 10.20 p.m., well outside of working hours. She'd invited George, not the other way around, but George has said to her, when you are finished for the night, give me a call and perhaps we can have a drink. All right. Question. Oh, no, there's more. There was a clear policy <laughs> saying that say. staff <laughs> must not drink or otherwise behave badly in a manner that could damage the business and harm its reputation when travelling, even out of hours. The policy went on to state that outside of working hours when travelling, they were not at work. A male claimed workers' compensation. So complex set of facts, okay? Yeah, there's a lot of detail. A lot of detail. Was a male at work? That is the question. Uh, I think there was, she's not physically at work, but there was enough of a connection to the workplace. Yeah. So I think for the purposes of this, when your boss agrees to drink with you, or your boss agrees to pay, he invite, he says, look me up. <laughs> look me up. Because that's how George would say it. Yeah, look me up. <laughs> with a Nespresso. <laughs> <laughs> we are too tired, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, I think that's an, uh, those things are enough. She's also on a work trip as well. And so I think. So can I just say the trick in this is condemnation. So what's happened here is, yes, she's expected to work reasonable hours. She's catching up with George. George is a boss. George is saying, come and catch up with me. He's paying for it. At that stage, it's not an interval of work argument. It is actually work. Yeah. Okay. It's a continuation of work. So whatever happens during that work, it goes on to the question of later on, is it workers' compensation? (laughs) Number three, the answer is it's definitely compensable. It doesn't matter what the policies say. But let's get back to two. What are the tests of out-of-hours conduct and could she be disciplined for misconduct? Tests for out-of-hours conduct, whether any of the conduct could go well, to... Well, it's not out-of-hours. See, there's ah, the, the trick of this, the whole trick of this question. what are the tests? <laughs> so the tests the test were out-of-hours conduct. So if it wasn't George and she just did it anyway and maybe she said FSS is a dog organisation yeah. and said some shocking things. So anything that goes to the reputation yeah. that prevents her from returning to her role or is inconsistent with the nature of the work that she yeah. carries out. Rose and Telstra. Yeah, Rose and Telstra. But I set this problem up for a bit of fun and the reason I set it up for a bit of fun was <laughs> is to say the truth is it is at work because George was the, the actual invitee. George yeah. is the person who paid. George is the person who encouraged the breach. It's... But what could she even be disciplined for? She slipped. I understand. I don't understand. I know. Well, that, that's probably the failing in the problem, okay? That's that's where the problem falls. So Although, as in if she was too drunk or something. Yeah, yeah. if she did something wrong, she was swearing and screaming, could she be disciplined? And the answer is still not because George is there condoning yeah, it. Yeah, he's been condoning it. Well, he's not necessarily condoning her behaviour. Like he condoned her drinking. That doesn't mean he condoned her swearing and everything. I know, but if, if you were swearing and I'd buy you another drink, am I condoning it? Yes, but I'm saying if this has happened, instead of with <laughs> doing the fall with the, the ankle, yeah. if she, as she's leaving, she she carries on and she gets kicked out, yeah. is that still condoning because he's fed her the drinks? Yes, it is. Ah. Mm. So it would be hard and it's I guess. It's nuanced. Yeah, and it brings us back to this issue of what do managers do? And the answer is managers have to be terribly careful mm. around this type of behaviour. Yeah. So there you go. It's a short session this week. Yeah, but I think before you jump the gun, I just want to emphasise what you said about the policy because I feel like that is a common misunderstanding that we're seeing more and more, that people think if you've put something in writing, then that will trump the law and putting it in writing that, look, this is not going to be part of work and hours and doesn't count, it doesn't matter what you do in a policy, you can't actually override your legal obligations under the law. And if your legal obligations are changed by the behaviours of leadership, then that stretches. Yeah. Okay, and I, I guess we've seen a number of cases. So there was a sexual assault case, a South Australian sexual assault case, where 
There was a Christmas party upstairs. Christmas party was over. They went downstairs afterwards for some two hours after. And while they were leaving, one of the employees sexually assaulted another employee. And the issue was sexual harassment type of claim. Was there workers' compensation? There's a whole series of claims that came up around it. And what the court said is, look, it was a continuation of a party that was supported by a leadership group mm-hmm. and therefore it fell within the course of conduct. Yeah. So I think when we're talking about people travelling, and remember this is the purpose of this whole discussion is to say people are travelling a lot more. Mm-hmm. People are working more flexibly. They're going and sitting at other places and doing things. Yeah. They're not coming to work. But it's the behaviour of leadership that condones, permits or encourages misconduct which means that it doesn't matter how you craft your policies and procedures. It doesn't matter the training you've got. If it's permitted by a leadership group for you to do it, it will be work and it will be hard to punish the wrongdoer. Yeah. And it will always be compensable. Yeah. I think that's the strongest lesson. Yeah. So I'm zombing back to work now. (laughs) We're finishing a bit early today because otherwise we're just going to go to sleep. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) No, it's just because we already taught you everything. (laughs) So we'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye.